Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis. Christianity in Genesis is the theme here. Where do we see the person and work of Christ? And by extension, where is our life in him? I'm convinced then by that that these uh, texts are not just ancient Near Eastern artifacts, kind of one-offs and something for the history books, but these texts actually press on as God's word, a very lively, living and active word, that speaks and bears witness to the life of Christ and his bride, the church, of all times and places. And so we've been doing that. We've been tracking that all along here. We've been spending quite a lot of time with Jacob here. Last time, chapter 30, Jacob's children and his prosperity there with the the speckled and the spotted sheep. Again, he's got a flock. This whole thing's very pastoral. He's got a flock, and this flock might not be Um, cherish in the eyes of the world. Again, they want, what, pure, white, you know, pristine-looking sheep. Uh, But Jacob gets the speckled and the spotted, and yet they are stronger. They're stronger than Laban's and so on. And that's that's exactly how our Lord works with the cross and, and how strength is made perfect in weakness. That's just part of the, the paradox of the Christian faith. And uh, that's where we left it. So 30 brings us up to this prosperity note, but 31 starts with, uh uh-oh, the sons of Laban are starting to get jealous, and now we have this, um, Laban is not regarding him with favor as before. This is kind of a long chapter, isn't it? And we won't be focusing on every single verse, but just some summary remarks as far as um, how this theme of Christianity in Genesis continues in in Jacob fleeing from Laban, I think that this, in many ways, Laban is kind of like another Abimelech. Uh, Abe had his Abimelech. Isaac had his Abimelech. Think chapter 26. And Jacob also has, as it were, a sort of Abimelech because I, on the one hand, he's he's family, right? This is Rebecca's brother way up north. He flees there. Um, but on the other hand, there there is, I think, uh, when all said and done here, there is a kind of split in the family. Um, I think you could almost say here, I think it kind of anticipates the split within Israel. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as we go along. But there is a foreshadowing of sorts of what happens when God's people um, need to need to divide and conquer or need to split, need to reform something. I mean, you think of the Reformation, this kind of, it's time to to kind of branch off here. Abe and Lot had this already in 13, the land can't bear us both. And so Abe says to Lot, then you can, you know, you take your pick and Lot goes after what looks like the garden of God. And Abe goes after something that is more, what shall we say, theology of the cross um, oriented. And that is... Um, he goes after the, the promised land, even if it doesn't look good. That and we talked about that in chapter thirteen. Um, he's satisfied, even if outward appearance isn't looking all that great. Anyway, we get this. Oh, so then Abe also has tension with Abimelech in chapter twenty over a well, and there's some more Abimelech action with um, 
with uh, what God coming to him in a dream saying, don't touch that man's wife. And then, of course, we had also Abimelech with Isaac in chapter 26. Laban, in some ways, is kind of like that. He's like that, in this case, it was family, but that worldly ruler who might be chummy and getting along with the church for a particular time, um, if the terms and conditions are favorable. I mean, Laban liked Jacob's labor. He served him 20 years, we're going to hear. And yet the prosperity was getting to be too much. And then what happens? Jealousy or or just rage that we can't bear this anymore. And so the sons of Laban say he's taken everything that, that is our father's. And then Laban is not regarding him with favor or literally he's um, the face of Laban was no longer with him. And then the Lord says, return to the land of your fathers, to your kindred. I will be with you. I love this because this is the promise that Jacob got in chapter 28. I will be with you. This was at Bethel, the, the ladder, the dream of the ladder. I will be with you. And this is a promise that's fulfilled here. I will be with you. I haven't forgotten about that word that I spoke to you, no matter how many years it's been since you've been baptized, for example. I have been with you. I gave you that word. I've been with you. And this is also the thing that um, that Jacob gets here when the going gets tough. And this is just the story of Christianity. Again, our theme comes through here. It's always on the move. And there is always this kind of exile or exilic period where they're, where they're being pushed out um, and on the run, as it were. And yet there is always a kind of return of the church to home base. And sometimes that means a reformation. That's exactly what the 16th century, there's a return. When does the church need to say enough's enough? We need to return back to the good and central things of the holy Catholic, small C, apostolic, orthodox faith. And that's the kind of thing that Jacob does here. I think it's now it's a time for a return of sorts. I'm going back to home base. Um, we were on decent terms. The church was thriving, the flock and so on that we talked about last time. But now it's time to take that that church and um, and do a sort of return back to the to the central things. Jacob then gets Rachel and Leah, which in many ways are sort of I just think of these two women as kind of Jew and Gentile churches. They're kind of a one's the the loved one and one's the grafted in one. And this is just classic Genesis material. Um, there is this well. There's Sarah and there's Hagar. There's Sarah and there's Hagur, the grafted in one. And so this theme continues in the form of Rachel and Leah. Where his flock was, notice this whole thing is so pastoral, says to them uh, in verse 5, Hey, your father doesn't regard me with favor, but God has been with me. I've served him, but your father has cheated me. Oh, the irony, Jacob is the cheater and the deceiver, but now he's on the receiving end of that. God working through even the faults in ourselves in order to accomplish the good purposes for us, the crosses that we bear to draw us closer to himself and so on. Um, That's that's big for Jacob. Even the very thing that, that was a weakness in him, the Lord used via another to draw Jacob closer to himself, to, as in closer to God. God didn't permit him to harm me. And all these 
spotted and speckled in all this. Now we're given the clear word. I kind of intimated this in the last podcast, but now it's very clear. You know, you can set up the white stalks and all these things, but God gave the growth to draw on Paul's language in Corinthians there of the church. God gave the growth. And so Jacob also relays all that to his to his wives. And then the angel of God says, lift up your eyes. I've seen all this. I'm the God of Bethel. Notice this kind of, wait, angel, who seems to be one with the Lord and speaks like the Lord and yet is distinct from the Lord. Okay. Um, Arise, go out of this land, return to the land of your kindred. Rachel and Leah then hear this word of the Lord. And they say, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Now, I said earlier, this thing just sounds like a split in Israel because exactly that was said in 1 Kings 12 when it's, what portion or inheritance do we have in David to your tents, O Israel? There is, we were family. Again, Jacob to Laban. This is Rebecca's, this is Uncle Laban. Um, we were family. Israel was one big happy family, right? And then there's a split in the tribes. And that split, I think, is is a kind of, uh, what, is foreshadowed here or anticipated here. What portion or inheritance do we have here in our father's house? Are we not foreigners? Hasn't he sold us and devoured our money? All the wealth God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So they're on board with this. This is like the church in response to the preaching of the word saying, this is correct. Amen. Yay, yay, it shall be so. Um, And so Jacob gets up, takes his sons, his wives on camels. He drives away all of his livestock, all his property, all that he had gained, all his possessions, goes to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac, and again, in this way, is it's the theme of, uh, we saw this with Abe, we saw it through the tough times, prosperity comes. Now, that's not a guarantee of material prosperity, but that is, that is the promise of fruitfulness, even in crosses that our Lord gives us. You see pictures of that in many and various ways. Abe didn't want to go to Egypt, but he had to. It was either death or death. And yet, in that cross, in that exile, was the was the prosperity. Um, something good came of it, and our Lord works through that. And so also with Jacob. I mean, this is just another one of these generations going through something tough, and then here's this, here's this prosperity on the other side. So also in the Christian life with our crosses, how he conforms us to the image of Christ and so on. Rachel then steals some household gods. Now, this is... This is kind of interesting here. Um, Laban goes to tend with his sheep. It's a different flock now. And Rachel steals the household gods. This is kind of interesting. Uh, some people have thought, well, he steal, she steals these things because um, we got to keep this idolatry away from Laban. <laughs> um, it is sort of like the sin of Akan stealing uh, the the thing in Joshua 7, the conquest, and so on. Um, he steals this thing, and, uh-oh, big problems. 
afterwards. Um, and so this is kind of similar where Rachel said, some think it's because to keep idolatry from Laban. Um, I think this is just part of the, I, I, on the one hand, it's kind of humorous because she steals them. Now what gods can be stolen? You've heard of kidnapping. This is godnapping. I've heard somebody call it. This is, now what gods can be stolen? And then later she even sits on them. And it's it's her time of the month, too, we're going to be told. So it's kind of like, this is insulting, and this is... But that's part of the... These gods don't stand a chance. Um, these gods, it's almost like the Philistine gods. Um, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is stolen, and then what? Their god, Dagon, is, it's, it falls over, and it breaks up, and it, it's a joke. It's false. It's an idol. It's not real. Okay. Um, and same with this, like they don't, there's this split, but lest you be tempted to go after the gods of Laban, there's nothing there. Okay. And so she takes them and this is, it's kind of like this Philistine sort of poking fun at these gods. Now, of course, some might be tempted to, well, like the Akan thing, let's take that. And then it becomes a snare to him and all Israel suffers because of it. Now, that's part of the, I think that's why we're not given a clear motive here. It might hit in a couple different ways. That when the church does its, um, let's say, reforming and splitting, um, it might be tempting to to hang on to some of the things from which you've broken away. Remember, the golden calf came from the gold of the calf, right? They used the earrings. They used the jewelry. Where did a bunch of slaves get all that gold? It came from Egypt. They're worshiping. They made the calf out of it. They're worshiping the stuff of the realm of slavery from which they were rescued. Okay. And so this is also, I think, at play there. These household gods should be, I mean, demolished in the ways that you hear later on in the in the Pentateuch. Destroy those pillars of Asherah and so on. Take those gods and, you know, put them to shame. Jacob also tricks Laban. I mean, this is, again, the irony of tricking. Jacob is a trickster, but Jacob got cheated. And uh, so he flees, and he goes across the Euphrates, heading back home. Laban then hears on the third day, this is kind of another one of these, like, wait, Abe and Isaac was a third day thing. There's a lot of third day stuff in the Bible. Jacob gets a three-day head start, and then Laban hears about that, comes after him, pursues him for seven days. And um, so the pace is, I think, pretty intense here by all of this. God comes to Laban in a dream by night. Again, this is like Pilate's wife. These are these moments where God speaks to the foreigner in a dream, Abimelech, and so on. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. There's divine intervention in this as we go through. And Genesis spotlights that. Sometimes when you think things are just pretty mundane, um, God is still very much orchestrating all of this uh, by means of his providential care. Not that we're puppets on strings, but that there's this constant um, guiding and directing of our Lord's good and gracious will for Jacob. We're going to say more about this uh, here in a moment, but it's time for a break, and then we'll tackle the rest of this on the other side. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, 
is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Folks, we are back with our study of Genesis chapter 31. Jacob is fleeing from Laban, and in some ways, Jacob's life is basically always on the run. We're going to see this again with Esau. I mean, he's, he, he already ran from Esau to Laban in the first place. Now he's running from Laban. And then we're going to see in the next chapter, we've got this kind of like a renewed fear of Esau. And so Jacob is just, he's always on the run. He's always wrestling with God. That's another kind of anticipation of the next chapter. In verse 25, where we left off, Laban overtakes Jacob. And now we're kind of in trouble because, oh boy, what's going to happen here? Um, Laban comes and, and says, what, have you, what are you doing? You've tricked me. I mean, again, Jacob the trickster. You've driven away my daughters. Notice he doesn't say um, your wives. He calls them my daughters, and that's consistent here. Why did you trick me? You didn't tell me. I would have given you a party. <laughs> now, is he being genuine here? Why, did, why didn't you permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Notice there's no kiss for Jacob, I guess. <laughs> You've done foolishly. I could harm you, but God said in a dream, don't do anything good or bad. This is like Abimelech again. This is like... A, a sort of a, a reaffirming that Laban really could cause some trouble here, but God's the one that God's the one that prevented this. And Abimelech also was like, you know, the whole wife thing, sister wife thing. Abimelech could have done some damage there, because we're talking about a marriage here, the holy estate of marriage, and and yet God prevented that; He intervened. And Jacob says, hey, I thought I was afraid. I thought you'd take your daughters from force. And interestingly, he then says anyone who finds these gods uh, will not live. Now, that is that almost sounds like Jephthah, doesn't it? Jephthah's vow. Um, Give me this thing. And the first thing that comes out of my house, you can, you know, you can have you can. It's a sacrifice, which is what? And then it's his own daughter, which is like, what are you doing? And Jacob, we're told, didn't know that Rachel took him, but that's the kind of, I don't know. I think this is just kind of, Jacob, is he's not perfect. And he has these moments where it's like, what are you doing? This is not smart. This is like this rash vow. 
And I think this is also a kind of, I don't know, this is Jephthah's daughter thing. This is kind of a warning um, to let your let yes be yes and your no be no. Because this is a, t- I mean, this is, this almost cost Rachel her life, really. She needed to have some intercession for her. Um, it builds the drama, doesn't it? Quite a bit. Um, she needed something to happen to kind of save her life. There's constantly this sort of like, life and death thing going on also in Genesis. Again, Abraham and Isaac and these moments where it's like Hagar is about to die in the wilderness, but on the verge of dying, um, he goes into Rachel's tent. Now, why Rachel take him and them instead of Leah? And I think Rachel, of course, was the one that was in a sense taken from Jacob. Um, he worked for her, right? But then got Leah first and had to do another seven years and like, whoa. Um, This is the sort of thing that I think is the irony that Jacob had theft done to him and now there's, uh, and it involved Rachel. Now Rachel is the one doing theft for another and she's sitting on this God, these gods and, um, says, I can't rise before you for the way of women is upon me. Now, I mean, this is just, I mean, what kind of gods can be sat upon? And then to add even another layer of just, ugh, in Leviticus, you you get quite a bit of talk of the the time of the woman and so on, w- rendering things unclean. So if you, you know, you, you sit on that or whatever the case is, then that thing is an unclean thing. And that's just the kind of degradation of these false gods. What kind of gods are sat upon? And then it's just so clever the way that, well, then Laban's like, well, okay, I won't, I won't ask you to get up then. And it's just, I mean, so it's Rachel doesn't then die. I mean, it's by means of an uncleanness that her life is spared. And of course, um, our Lord becomes the greatest thief, the greatest adulterer, the greatest and most unclean thing on the cross in order for the the purity of forgiveness and everlasting life. There are many little indications of this throughout the scriptures, and I think this is one of them. There's anger then, and these two duke it out here at the end. Um, I think this is kind of a, a fascinating little ending here. Um, to this chapter, Jacob sort of lets him have it. And I think this is, it's in a way, it's like Samuel's protesting of innocence in, what is it, 1 Samuel 12. Um, What have I done wrong against you? And he just gives this list. And so go ahead, Jacob then says, I've served you um, these 20 years I've been with you. You're used, by the way, that's... um, the plural there looks a lot like Rachel. It's like the plural of Rachel. So I've been, I've served, um, your, your Rachel's have been fine. I've served for your Rachel's, your use, um, maybe a play on words there. Um, I haven't done anything. I haven't eaten this stuff. Um, I've been a good shepherd. Okay. These 20 years I served you. And you know, we, we talked about the switch there. And if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. There is in this a kind of anticipation of my hands are clean in this. 
And sometimes the church, again, just to kind of think with the, the split or the reformation, there's a famous um, saying that the church is always reforming, always um, kind of, I guess, returning to home base as it just goes throughout the centuries, goes throughout life. And um, there's always this return. And at every moment, I mean, this is kind of like Luther and standing before the princes. This is just sort of, show us where we're wrong in this. Show us where we're wrong. This is part of the church of all times and places. Things creep in or there are, uh, you know, subtle heresies that have become attractive or whatever. And here's the deal. And you list your case and show me where I'm wrong. And Jacob does that here. And this is... I mean, this is sort of like the split in the kingdom, too, where it's, you know, is there any wrongdoing there? Now, Israel, the 10 tribes that, that split off are convinced, yes, there there has been wrongdoing. But for the two that don't, it's, no, this is Jerusalem still home base, no matter how small we are with just two tribes and so on. I haven't done, we haven't done anything wrong. Here we are. And again, the, Jacob ascribes all of this victory to God, which is exactly the church. I mean, this is the gospel will prevail. And when the church needs to, I, as it were, splinter in the ways that it does, it's for the sake of the gospel. And that gospel has not been overcome. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And so there will, as our Lutheran confessions put, there will always be God's holy church on earth until the second coming of Christ. That is just a fact, no matter what, not even the gates of hell, again, will prevail against it. Interestingly, when Laban hears this, he has a sort of recognition. He has a sort of acknowledgement that, okay, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children. Notice he still doesn't say wives for Jacob. The flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. So we're, we're kind of back in this Abimelech turf again. Where God's people, um, as it were, splinter or break off in the ways that they do, and then all of a sudden it's okay. Well, what's the what's the Abimelech there? Um, what's the arrangement now? Abe cuts a covenant with Abimelech because it serves the marks of the church, and I think that's constantly what the church needs. Now, when I mean when the split of Israel happened, what did they have to do? Well, they had to figure out what was going to be home base, Samaria, okay, and then actually <laughs> Bethel and Dan had some idols or whatever. But this is, you know, these are the kinds of reorganization times. And what level of agreement can we be? To what extent can the kingdom of the right um, shake hands, hold hands with the kingdom of the left? And we pray in the church's colleagues all the time that we have a good kind of orderly, godly peace surrounding the church, so that the church can be what the church is. Um, we don't want a bunch of war. We don't want a bunch of strife and warfare because it affects how well the church can be the church. Not that the, even the gates of hell will prevail, but just that we want this kind of order and, and welfare and function so that we can be the church in peace. And that's the kind of agreement that you see Abe and Abimelech we talked about. And, and this is also another, like every iteration of the church has to do this. So they make a covenant and they take stones. And I love how this language of stone, of course, Jacob at Bethel set up a stone. And I just think it's let it up be a pillar and so on. These are kind of, it's evocative of 
the house of the Lord, the place of the Lord. So even as he sets up these agreements, it's for the sake of the Lord's things that the church does this. So they take stones and make a heap. Laban calls it the, the Aramaic name and Laban, uh, or Aramean um, name, and, ja- and, and, uh, and Jacob calls it the, the more Hebraic name, Hebrew. And, um, and then they say, The Lord watched between you and me. We are out of one another's sides. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take the wise beside my daughters, although there is no one with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Jacob then says, all right, see this heap and the pillar which I've set up between you and me? It's a witness. I won't pass over. You won't pass over. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So he fears, or he swears by the fear of his father Isaac. Jacob then offers a sacrifice. They eat bread. They spend the night in the hill country. And then early in the morning, they kind of go their way. Laban goes home. It's fascinating. Again, this brings to mind the Abimelech thing earlier in Genesis. We're at the end of it. Um, they have this treaty. In chapter 21, we talked about this. Um, in chapter 21, there's this treaty. They set it up with the ewe lambs. Remember that? What's the meaning of these ewe lambs? And then this is this kind of, this is for the sake of the wells. It's for the sake of Beersheba, these seven wells. And uh, they called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, at the end of that very similarly, we have this, we have this feast. Um, in some ways, this is almost like chapter twenty-six, also with Isaac and Abimelech. Um, there is this the digging of wells, and then what was it? In the morning, they rose, exchanged oaths. They made a feast. There it was in verse thirty. They made a feast, and in the morning they ate and drank. Why do we always get these kinds of word of the Lord and feast things and the stone for the house of the Lord? It's because when the church makes these kinds of arrangements, it's always to preserve the marks. It's always to further the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments. That's always the key. Any sort of structure to the church, any sort of arrangement with the kingdom of the left, how does this best support the preaching of Christ crucified and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper? fascinating stuff. Great long chapter, chapter 31. Tune in next time, 2032, uh, Wrestling with God. Oh my, very athletic. Don't miss it. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. 